My name is Sister Prince, and I am talking to Dr. and Mrs. John Hara about their photographs for the forthcoming exhibit on Asian American immigration to St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, today is Wednesday, March 14, 1990. He's supposed to be here, so he's not here for good reason. Yeah, what we wanted to see, and I was telling her, was whenever we put exhibits out like this, mm -hmm. you know, what we want the public to know is that we're Americans mm -hmm. of Japanese heritage. Right. And a lot of time when exhibits are put on, it becomes Japanese, Japanese. Right. And that's not you the thing that, that we're trying to you know, tell mm -hmm. because of the fact that when we get identified as Japanese, Japanese, sometimes we get the Japanese backlash aimed mm -hmm. towards mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. and, and we went through that during mm -hmm. World War II. Right. So our group is very sensitive to the fact that we don't want to be in a movie. Not that we don't like Japan, but to clarify the fact that first we are Americans of Japanese heritage. And so the same would occur with the Koreans. Mm -hmm. To be called Koreans, it isn't correct. But they are Americans of Korean heritage. Mm -hmm. And that should be clearly emphasized. Yeah. And so we don't use that term too much of Japanese American or Korean American because all of a sudden they just remember the front part. Korean. Right. Japanese. They don't remember so the American. You before though I, I want to get this, you discussed the fact of the physical features. I wish yeah. you would enlarge on yeah. that. Yeah. Unfortunately we're we look like the Japanese of Japanese. So when the Japanese come to Japan, they dress like this and mm -hmm. they walk like this, and their English is not so good, mm -hmm. but it's very hard to distinguish mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the Japanese national and the Americans of Japanese heritage. And that's that's the area that we like to make a clear distinction. Well, perhaps we were thinking about what we were going to call this exhibit, and we need a subtitle that's, that is that is descriptive, and then we always like to have sort of a catchy yeah. title to start with. Yeah. And we had been thinking, maybe we ought to be thinking of Americans of Pacific Asian yeah, that's heritage right. or dis descent. Yeah. Heritage. 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 Yeah. Uh, then we would start right out with, or right. St. Louisans actually we'd like to say, but yes. it's going to be St. Louis. Right. St. Louisans of Pacific Asian heritage right. would put it right up front and make it very clear right at the very beginning. Right. And, um, and that's the kind of direction we're looking for from you all because we want this to be the kind of exhibit that you want, right. not the kind that, that we would maybe come up with without knowing right. what's, what's right. So we had talked, I guess as Sister Prince said, we yeah. talked about this yesterday at, to a great extent. And, and he just say, started just say, talking about yeah, it. Yeah, we were talking about saying, my family, I'm of yeah. Portuguese descent, but nobody but can no tell one, from but looking yeah, at me. But no, right. no one would so, call you right. Portuguese. Nobody expects but unfortunately, yeah. the Asians are so identifiable mm -hmm. you know, that uh, it gets that point, that no one would ever call you German, you know, just on this. Half uh, of, only half which half. Right, right. <laughs> right. But yeah. for us, uh, we found that uh, whether were Japanese, Korean, or Chinese, or Thailand, were all identical in appearance, and the white population can't identify. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I kind of went ahead trying to form a Pan-Asian uh, group mm -hmm. so that uh, the 
population that know who we are. Mm -hmm. Now the Japanese are Korean businessmen that are coming. They should be appropriately called Japanese mm -hmm. businessmen or Korean mm -hmm. businessmen or Chinese businessmen. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's what they are. Yeah, that's what they are, mm -hmm. and that's, they should be there. But with that, when I participate in a point where we get identified as them, mm -hmm. because uh, they have power. That's not what you are. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that Channel, you know, Channel 4 and the International Institute and Missouri Historic Society wanted to do to, because we right. realize that that is a, a, a problem, both in terms of uh, identification with, with an Asian country and also identification between Thai or Japanese right. and Ch Chinese and we want people of those descents. So we wanted to make sure that we made these things separate, where it should be separate and where it should be inclusive right. to make sure we make those connections. Um, We're happy to, you know, uh, make the cultural part available, mm -hmm. you know, to the community we do that. Japanese gardens mm -hmm. and things like that. But uh, sometimes when we do that, then we become more Japanese than Japanese because the population doesn't aren't able to separate. Well, we'll make sure that we get that message across. Yeah. That's what we, yeah. we want to do. There must be many conflicts that come about. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, I think we're very sensitive because of our World War II experiences. The, uh, Korean, Chinese, Americans are too sensitive because they didn't go through mm -hmm. what we went through. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to tell them that now it's to the point where uh, Japan bashing is again becoming prevalent. You see the headline, everything is going to Japan. I'm not back in Japan because I'm American as anyone else and I'm concerned. But, uh, if we identify too much with and economic conditions get real bad, where people get frustrated, then Asian violences become prevalent. And that's what I'm trying to tell the other group, that we should make a distinct separation that we're Americans first and of Asian heritage. How do you go about that? Groups like this where we make it very distinct that America stands out in front. Because at the time that the emergency arrives and we wave our flag and say we're Americans, too late. If the population knows ahead of time mm -hmm. that we are Americans of Asian heritage, then when they see us, they, they, they will. Your road has been very difficult. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, well on that fact, but I just hate to see it repeat itself. You know, that's what education's all about. That when you fail one area, you don't want to keep repeating it, even if it's 40 years later, 50 years later. I think the German population went through the same thing during World War One. Right. My, my, my yeah. father was a young child right after right. World War One, and yeah. when he went to kindergarten, he was an immigrant family could not speak English right. and was beaten on a right. daily basis. Right. And that's that's unfortunate part of America that they can't go to other country to keep their citizens so they, mm -hmm. they tend to keep the first identifiable group. Fear. Yeah, fear. And it lets out the frustration. And so 
that's one of our fear that uh, I look at newspaper news or media news that comes out that uh, they don't identify the problem that it's a whole lot easier to say blame it all on the Asians or blame it all on Germany or whatever country that's popular at that moment that came and it's an unfortunate thing but that's life so I go around to the high school in this area not to tell our story and say how much we suffer you know that's not important but to tell them that the constitutional abuse is there and it could be easily abused any time and we don't want to repeat that and that's what I try to you know, tell the older ones it's pretty hard to change yeah. you know, their pressures are there and it's pretty hard to change but the young people recurrent but you can still jack up the older ones by just telling them that there's a difference you know I right. mean that's not you, you yeah know, I, I still think that all learn, no yeah. matter how old we are. It's really... Some people mellow when they get old. Yeah, some don't. <laughs> <laughs> some are hard. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it's really good in a sense that society has become fairly tolerant and they try to understand. Mm -hmm. and so that at least you could put your message across whether they accept it or not is another question. Mm -hmm. But I think to a certain degree they're open you know, mm -hmm. to some of the ideas mm -hmm. that uh, they may have held in front. Yeah, because one of the things we would like to do is to also, it's very important to us to let people know that people came from Asian countries to the United States and only to say this for different times, different reasons and in different times. Right. Another thing that other people don't, you know, people don't make those kinds of distinctions as, as they should historically speaking as historians and so we would very much and I know that 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 uh, we can't say all people came for one reason or all people came for another from a certain uh, uh, national group but uh, that's what we'd like to kind of tell the story oh. and essentially uh, why people you know, kind of started out with like well why did people come to Central? Well, so you want to localize yeah we want first of all why people came to the United States but in a sense or why people's ancestors or, or uh, great grandparents or grandparents came to the United States, which is important, right. and when. Um, but having just come back from the West Coast, uh, there are a lot more Asians living on the West right. Coast, and I can think of lots of good reasons to live on the West Coast. Yeah, it's <laughs> so it's very interesting to us, also in part of our exhibit, to talk about why people would come and, and, and live in St. Louis, and that will make it, you know, interesting to people in St. Louis and um, help us do our own local history because one of the reasons for this project, aside from this exhibit, which is going to be a small, small exhibit, um, is that we are preparing to do a great deal more in the future. We're going to be redoing all our exhibit galleries in the next five to seven years. And, we want, and one of the things we don't know much about is immigration in the 20th century of almost any immigrant in the 20th century, we're doing good on the 19th century. But we have very little information in the 20th century. So we're trying to develop uh, resources, that is photographs and information that goes with the photographs, because there's nothing a museum, it's worse for a museum is to have photographs or objects and that no, I don't know anything about them. Right. And so when we 
you know, take a, 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 make a copy of a photograph, or we either get an object or we make a, a record of what that object is. We want to know everything we can about that. That will help us use it in our different purposes. So uh, we're asking people, I'm kind of um, hoping that you'll go along with us, to tell us perhaps more than we're going to see on the wall in May. Right recognizing that this becomes part of the information base that we'll be using for our future exhibits. And that one of the things that this institution didn't do in the past, um, in the early part of this century, was to talk with people other than the people who were their members. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so our information of people who are not members of the Missouri Historical Society or leaders of, you know, of business is very sketchy. And we don't want that to happen anymore. We need to build that up just both for our own immediate purposes, but you know, for another hundred years from now. So we appreciate your yeah, I to could, talk to us. <coughs> I could, and she could fill me in, to if we uh, localize it, I think there were three families originally in St. Louis. Uh, and this was uh, about 19, when was the fair, 19? Yeah, basically. Uh, Mr. Yamamoto was a Japanese person who came to the 1904 World's Fair mm -hmm. and uh, he worked for some Japanese company, representing a Japanese company. And then when the fair folded, he decided to stay in St. Louis. So he's, he's deceased now, but he was probably the first Japanese that came to St. Louis. He's a gentleman that went to DeSoto and had the Fojo. Photos. Yeah, he had a photo thing downtown too. Uh, I could, I have some of the, I didn't bring that material, you know, of part of his life. And this one person wrote about his life, of what he did mm -hmm. in his lifetime. And I think he wrote this short, I could make a copy and send you that brief nice. historical thing about him. He was a very nice, I, I got to know him when he was about seven years. So, but he, he was very alert and very prosperous because he invested in General Motors and AT&T when they were selling that on the sidewalk. <laughs> and he kept it all these years. You got to know him when you were seven? No, no, when he, he was about when he was about 70. Oh, 70? 70. Yeah, 70 okay, years of age. So I, I kind of <laughs> got to know him at the tail end of his uh -huh. life. Mm -hmm. He lived until what, 84 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he married a German lady. And that was an interesting story because at that time, 1906 or seven, you know, we didn't have too many mm -hmm. interracial mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of marriages. Mm -hmm. St. Louis is right. very conservative. Right. You know, and he, he used to tell me that when he first was courting her, that uh, her uncle, I think, was very upset about you know, this marriage. He came after the shotgun and things like that. You know, and he laughs a lot. But they were a very nice couple. You know, and uh, they had one son. I think he's still in the city, but he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it, he doesn't deal. I think he's, he's not too close to the Japanese American community mm -hmm. as such. So I don't really, really lost touch with him. I think he's an architect. But he changed his name. Mm. He took his mother's maiden name mm. because during World War II, Yamamoto was a very popular name mm -hmm. because you know, Admiral Yamamoto mm -hmm. was making mm -hmm. the news mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. So he uh, took his mother's name and uh, survived. Now, this Yamamoto during World War II 
had a concession at the uh, Highland Park, right there. Forest Park. Yeah, Forest Park, mm -hmm. right, right where the uh, junior college mm -hmm. is. And he made his living there, actually. He had, uh, was, you were there, but he, he still had. Was it photographic? No, it was those penny, you know, you pay like a penny a and uh, uh -huh. <coughs> try to, yeah, mm -hmm. throw balls into mm -hmm. things like that, or dime. Mm -hmm. And he made his living at, there. But he talks about during World War II that he stayed behind the scene. He wasn't at the counter, and he had people mm -hmm. hired, yes. you know, and he ran it that way. The other family <coughs> was Tanaka. Now, their son is still here, Joseph Tanaka. And you might talk to him because he could tell you bec uh, he's about seven something, but he's very alert mm -hmm. and a very good speaker. Did his family come during at the time of the fair, or was he later than that? I think he came a little later, later. if I remember. Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, Joe Tanaka could tell you everything of pre. World War II, of the number of Japanese mm -hmm. families mm -hmm. that were here. Mm -hmm. And there was another family, what was the other one? It was a farmer. But there was another family that was a farmer. Joe's father had a restaurant. Uh, I think it was more in the black community. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ran the restaurant, and that's how they mm -hmm. They had three sons who all served. For a second infantry unit, and so Joe could tell you mm -hmm. what it was like mm -hmm. uh, during World War II to live mm -hmm. in St. Louis, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. because we were all on the West Coast, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we didn't get to know what happened mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. But <coughs> so after, not not after, but during World War II, um, we were all placed in concentration camp, and little by little, um, they gave what they call loyalties, and you know, all that meant really was saying that uh, uh, we were not loyal to Japan, we had loyalty to America, and so certain numbers were allowed to leave the camp. And in that process, St. Louis actually was one of the few cities that welcomed the Japanese American population. And most of the most of them came to the university, St. Louis University and Washington University. They were able to leave the camps when? Uh, about 1943, 44. And so there were certain contingency people who came to St. Louis. And originally, most of them were students mm -hmm. who continued their college education. And it was almost like one-to-one -one type of uh, relationship where like the uh, one student uh, graduate as pre-med at University of California, mm -hmm. top of his class, then uh, he could get accepted to any university because the war was on and, and it was popular not to have any Japanese Americans in their school population. And so the Chancellor of the University of California talked to the Chancellor uh, University of Saint, I mean Saint Louis University, and got this student into the medical school mm -hmm. here. And I think uh, Doctor, I mean not Doctor, but uh, Obata 
came to Washington University at that time because his father was a professor, I think, at the University of California, Berkeley. And, yeah, <laughs> University of California, Berkeley. But uh, since he couldn't go there, he came here. And then after he graduated, you know, he, he started the company. So most of the business people who are here are mostly post-World War II. And uh, we've always been grateful to St. Louis, and that was one of the reasons why our organization was the first to start pushing for the Japanese garden, mm -hmm. you know. And we only had $5,000 that we raised, you know. But with that fund, we took it to Mayor Cervantes at that time. He wanted to just say, give it to me and I'll do something mm -hmm. with it, you know. We didn't think to, and we even considered here, mm -hmm. in Jefferson mm -hmm. Memorial, we were going to try to get something small, as we were thinking very small at that time, just make a little mm -hmm. statue or something, symbolic thing. To, you I'm glad know. you didn't, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> to say that. But we came here and there wasn't any protective wall, yeah. and we felt that if we left something there when the period of Japan bashing became popular, mm -hmm. they would stop painting things, and so we didn't feel secure there. And then we took it to Japanese, I mean the uh, botanical garden, mm -hmm. and Dr. Raven talked to us, and. Uh, it was at the right time because the ladies there were looking for some project mm -hmm. and we introduced the idea of a Japanese garden and we were talking something like this room, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. little rock garden, a little mm -hmm. stone and a lamp, lantern, you know, and just made a little symbol saying thank you, you know, St. Louis. But uh, the ladies took over the whole project. Mm -hmm. and you went a couple of times to their meetings, didn't you? But Dr. Raven was in that expansion mm -hmm. period. Yeah. And yeah. this just sort of fit right into his. Yeah, you fit right into the project. And these ladies had lots of political connections. Mm -hmm. and they were very rich ladies mm -hmm. from Ladue, you know. Mm -hmm. And they took over. So what we did was we gave the inspirational mm -hmm. thing to get it off ground and we. Found the Japanese garden, the architecture, mm -hmm. Koichi mm -hmm. Kawano. Yeah, Kawano from UCLA, who was a uh, landscape architect or someone. Mm -hmm. And we presented the idea mm -hmm. to him mm -hmm. and telling them that we only have $5,000. You know, and we gave Seed money. Yeah, way. seed money. And, but we gave him a bigger dream saying that, that this is a very symbolic thing that in the Midwest there isn't any Japanese garden. And we thought that it would be important, you know, to show this. And so he accepted on that ground that this is a good mm -hmm. opportunity mm -hmm. for him to and so he created this big magnificent plan, you know, and Dr. Uh, how did you know St. Louis? Uh, How did St. Louis make its welcome known? Here you are in the camps are getting loyalty. Well place. I came Later, but uh, but how did that how did that uh, work as far as from, you from personally? But but how did how did people in the camp? So like Paul no. Moriyama, who you might be talking to later, he, he was talking about he was sent out from the camps to reconnoiter different areas in the country, and it was he, he took it upon himself to look at the landscape and the population and the kind of businesses and talk to the people to see if they would welcome. Yeah, you should talk to Mr. Mariyama because he's a very uh, 
historically, he has lots of information in his head, and he's he's in his. I think he just turned 80, but he's not a typical 80. He calls and you know, and he's very alert. He remembers everything, and uh, he would really fill you in on all the period of what happened during World War II because he was a leader in the camp. He was the community leader, and so. The administration told him, would he go, because we weren't allowed to go to mm-hmm. back West Coast. Mm-hmm. And so, and uh, the, most of the people in camp didn't want to go to strange area. Mm-hmm. And so, Mr. Mariano was encouraged to come out here, and he visited various cities. And he, he came to St. Louis, and he really liked it when he talked to the chancellor of the university and all those, the mayor and all the leaders. And he found that it was receptive. Yes, and it's nice about St. Louis. Yeah, and so he was more of a leader that drew in, mm-hmm. you know, the people to come to St. Louis. Oh, okay. And and then when they came to St. Louis, he helped them. And one of the advice he gave them at that time was, don't make a ghetto. Mm-hmm. So you don't see mm-hmm. Japan Town or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That he says spread out, you know, and uh, get into the community and be part of the community. And so, uh, in his quiet way, he really advised uh, a lot of the early settlers. Mm-hmm. Now, from Roar and Jerome, there was a camp in Arkansas mm-hmm. near Little Rock. Uh, that's where we were at originally. And when that camp was slowly closing, a lot of the people came to St. Louis, but they came uh, just to kill time until West Coast would open. So that population that came from Arkansas, most of them went back to California and went back to their original area. That they when they stayed here in uh, St. Louis, did they, uh, was there a, a community, a Japanese-American community that existed, or were the people here, or were they just no, there weren't. There were. There, there, there were only three families. Right, three families. Three families. Right. So those families did help. They did. Help. Yeah. Mr. Mayor, when when Mr. Mayor Yama yeah, came, Mar- yeah. then um, he was really the first. Yeah, he was. After those three families. Yeah, yeah, he was probably the first. Uh, there were. I thought, oh, how many how many people were here when your dad came? Yeah. But I think at that time, the population of uh, the Japanese American probably was up to about 1,000, which was pretty big you know, mm-hmm. right after the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some came from Arkansas, and then some came from Chicago, and then from Tulane Lake. And so they all kind of... Chicago was a very uh, heavily populated. A lot of them went to Chicago. Mm-hmm because Chicago had a diverse ethnic group. You know, I mean, the city is almost a minority. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I have to ask this question. Yeah. Because it's you could ask anything. I know, nothing. but I'm through. Um, were East Coast Japanese put in camp? No. Okay, that's, explain that, yeah. the difference in uh, the Just the areas. West Coast, the, the President of the United States, Roosevelt, gave this Executive Order 9066, which gave the right to the area commander 
to do whatever is necessary. But DeWitt. Yeah, and General DeWitt took it upon himself that he felt that putting all Japanese Americans in camp was the safest thing to do. Now, uh, General Simmons, I think, in Hawaii, he was the Pacific Area Commander. He got the same executive order 9066, but he looked at that and he said, I trust the Americans of Japanese ancestry. I know them. And he stood up and he says, there's no reason to put them away. And then the mayor of Honolulu also came out and said, there's no reason to put them. So there in Hawaii, where there's predominant uh, population of Japanese Americans, they weren't put away. And so they you know, worked for the war effort and everything. And there was not a single sabotage or anything occurring in that area. And you would think, yes. Hawaii of yeah, all well, places. So really, it's this, this colonel or whatever he was, DeWitt, that yeah. uh, caused but, all this. Yeah, it's not just DeWitt in a sense. If you look at it historically, there was always an underground of prejudice. And Pearl Harbor was the thing that made it patriotic to denounce the Japanese American because they were always worried about what they call yellow pearl. You know, it's the same thing what's happening today. It's almost identical. It scares the daylights out of me because America is now saying Japan is buying America. They're taking over the country. They've taken over Hawaii. Now they're taking over the West Coast. You know, they're buying property and they're buying property in New York. And so that type of fear wasn't California on the West Coast because the Japanese American population was growing economically. They were cornering the market in uh, truck farming, you know, growing lettuce, tomatoes, and things. And the uh, Caucasian population couldn't compete with, with them because they, you know, the whole family went out there and worked. You know, and they kept the costs down and they were willing to work long hours. And so there was a terrific economic competition. And when you get economic competition, they start influencing the political area. And the Japanese Americans didn't have any voting power because the parents couldn't become American citizens at that time. They, you know, our parents could become American citizens in 1952 you know, because the Constitution says it was either white or black. It didn't have yellow or the Asian. So, so until that was amended, we couldn't, uh, our parents couldn't become citizens. So if you're not a citizen, you can't vote. And if you can't vote, you don't have too much power against the politicians. We were too young. We weren't in a voting age. Because if you look at the population, our parents were in their 50s. And the kids were just becoming 18, 19, the bulk of the population. And so we didn't have any voting rights. And we were very politically, very naive. And when you're politically naive, people like General DeWitt could be influenced by the politicians. And so the farmers group spearheaded the drive to get the Japanese Americans out of West Coast. And they put pressure on General DeWitt. And then the congressmen, the senators, put the pressure on the president. And then the president released his 9066 order. And that's how you know, the thing started. And we were very naive because they took away all the leadership as soon as. You're 
talking about the photographs. Yeah. That's really important. So one, of the, the idea with the one of the unfortunate things about the uh, evacuation is we were allowed just to carry mm -hmm. two baggages. Mm -hmm. And so in that process, we've lost oh, all, mm -hmm. we lost everything. Mm -hmm. We lost all our photos. We lost, uh, so I don't have any photos of my youth or anything. Mm -hmm. We had it, but it gets to the point where we say, is this more yeah. important than taking this? And so a lot of the families you'll find don't have that period's photograph. So the only uh, photograph we have are the government photograph, the government photographer that took these pictures, that what you're seeing is not from civilian pictures. Mm -hmm. It's from government photographers mm -hmm. who kept these pictures and which weren't available until uh, 1970s when the Freedom of Information Act came. And because uh, up to that time, it was classified as secret. And, and we weren't allowed to even see it. And once Freedom of Information came about, we were able to get these pictures. And the government tried to destroy some of the unfavorable pictures, mm -hmm. and they might have destroyed mm -hmm. some of them. And Anson, uh, yeah. he, he took, a, he was originally employed in the relocation camp, mm -hmm. and he took very good pictures that showed how much the people were suffering, how their rights were taken away. But when the government saw that picture, you know, they didn't mm -hmm. want that as a record, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like Germany and the, the mm -hmm. Jews. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have an official photograph of, you know, hurting mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think he resigned because of the fact that they won't allow him to take popular picture, mm -hmm. but he wanted to take the truth as he saw it. And so, I don't know if ever his, his picture, picture was yeah, ever updated. He, he had a book. Yeah. Yeah, but that'd be, that's fairly, yeah. I remember but, when but, that, those pictures came out. But you notice in his picture that he took real close-up yeah. people portraits. to the portraits, and, and th some of those pictures are gone. Mm -hmm. said, not available, and I think he died. So the things that you see of his are very uh, it's a picture, it's a beautiful picture, but it doesn't really tell the story that well, he wanted to tell. In this, it, it does show, it points out that in this particular picture, you do see that there is a gate that you have to go through, right. and it says stop. Uh, yeah, you whatever police, yeah. you know, that it's not just... Did Dorothy Lang take pictures in the yeah, games? Dorothy I think Lang, hers yeah. are, are yeah. Yeah, very yeah. powerful. But a lot, lot of the pictures were censored mm -hmm. at the government mm -hmm. level mm -hmm. because I have a very rare book of the final report of the Army, U.S. Army, mm -hmm. of the period that they, uh, what, how they evacuated and the system mm -hmm. they used. And in that uh, book, pictures that they have in there are very sanitary pictures. What I mean by sanitary mm -hmm. is if you saw that picture, you won't mind going, going to the concentration mm -hmm. camp because mm -hmm. it's clean. Mm -hmm. and the moons look like this and it's mm -hmm. nice. Yes. And mm -hmm. But in reality, people who were there look right. at that and say, that's propaganda. Mm -hmm. But the government, for their official historical preservation, used those pictures. So uh, if a historian looked at that without seeing mm -hmm. 
we're talking to people who are actually there, would say, that's must have been how it was. Did you see the exhibit that the Smithsonian did? No, I haven't uh, gone. It's still there. It's still there. I'd be, yeah. I'd be very interested in yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I have to go Well, it's a, it's a very good exhibit yeah. about the whole um, concentration camp. Yeah. And it has a replica of a room. Mm -hmm. And what is so interesting about it to me, uh, first of all, I'm interested now to know whether it's been sanitized yeah. and you know how much it really is like a room because I took it on face value. But they have a film thing in the back of the room, they have a window, I mean a door. Right. And they have a back of some kind of a movie video thing. And they have a man come up to that door with a, with a child. Uh. And the man tells the child about what it was like, he's a father, uh. what yeah. it was like. And it's all done electronically. Uh. But you stand on this side, and you see this man walk up and, and explain what it was like living in the camps. And it's it's very, and then he walks away, and then if you stand there long enough, he keeps coming back and talking, saying different things. Yeah. But well, that's good. it's very good, yeah. and I think the exhibit is very good in terms of how I think it's very truthful and how right. it analyzes. But I don't know now, You, I'm going back to Washington, I'm going to go back and look, whether it has created a, a a clean, a sanitized, and and uh, because you don't have the feeling when you look at the camp, you look at the replica, it does, it does look, doesn't look unpleasant. Well, yeah. that's what our friend said he saw. Oh, but they, oh. and what did she, she say? That, that's a lot better than what we have. You know, they have a lot bigger, and they have furniture, and ah. they can have yeah. bed crates, yeah. and a very small area. You know what's missing? What? Dust. Ah, yes. I was going to say dust. Dust. The sand, dust, and the dirt, you know, mm -hmm. like in Arkansas, the red dust that flows, and you don't have, uh, you know, it's not sealed, mm -hmm. dust coming in. Mm -hmm. That's what's missing. And if you make it dirty, you know, mm -hmm. really dirty, then I think that scene can't do that. probably, mm -hmm. yeah. But that would be the, real, the dust mm -hmm. flowing everywhere. That, uh, see, if you have a table like this, Dust, you would see dust on top, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. what's missing. I think. Mm -hmm. And because if you ask any person who was there, they'll see the dust mm -hmm. is what they remember, or sandstorm. And uh, that's what I remember because I remember my parents stuffing ragged cloth between windows so that you know, so that the mm -hmm. dust won't come through. And then on the floor where it was open, the dust would come in from under the rags seal all that, trying to get, get the dust. So people who had upper respiratory disease had a difficult time because they couldn't keep away from the dust. Mm -hmm. So those people I think suffered. Now, uh, the pictures I have here, I've shown some at uh, some areas. This was shown roughly about, uh, when did Joe show it? Fifteen years ago, yeah. in Veterans uh, Memorial. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah they yes. showed it there, and what I did, what I did, uh, was uh, kind of put it in sequence. Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, the beginning part I'll show as the Japanese American population uh, came to this city. I mean, to this uh, country, mm -hmm. and. I didn't know until the, uh, they had the, I guess you 
see the Japanese American Historical Society in LA? No, I would I'll tell you what I did see. I've not been to that, but where I have been was in San Francisco, the yeah, Oakland Museum. Right. They have a wonderful exhibit on uh, Japanese American women. Right. Uh, and I think that's, that's a wo wonderful exhibit. Yeah. Wonderful. And so, and this is in that. Yeah, this is this is this is. Uh, it was calendar that you know we got. Mm -hmm. So originally they came uh, to this country, and I think this was more like uh, an inland mm -hmm. uh, area, and, mm -hmm. yeah. and they came, they came, uh, you know, as typical immigrants, mm -hmm. and and naturally the war brides, the picture mm -hmm. brides mm -hmm. that came, uh, you know, were dressed in the uh, Japanese clothes. And they got off, and they met their husband for the first time. Mm -hmm. And there's some interesting stories in there. Because some of the women, when they saw their future husband, <laughs> they right. kind of right. Right. Yeah, yeah, they either went home, and they said that they'd rather be by themselves, you know, <laughs> because some of these husbands had their or potential husband had their friends who were better looking send the oh. picture. <laughs> so those are some of the you know humorous mm -hmm. things that occurred, and then. Uh, they were naturally in a sweatshop. Like, uh, now, did your family come? At this one, did your family come? Yeah, my 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 father came about 1902 during the uh, Russian Japanese War. Mm -hmm. I think it was 1902 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I always used to kind of kid him that he was a first draft out <laughs> because a lot of the that draft age people uh -huh, came, uh -huh. they don't admit that because that's uh, right. not, not the right thing right. to say but I think in their heart a lot of Germans came for that yeah, reason too yeah. in the and 80s but 1880s. basically our parents came to this country more to make a little nesting and then go back to Japan uh -huh. they weren't coming for religious or economic mm -hmm. they weren't really suffering mm -hmm. as such mm -hmm. like other immigrants mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. they weren't running away from anything what did they hear that would cause them to feel like it did the story that's still around the United States is paved with gold and all you have to do is just pick it up and put it in your pocket and go back. Mm -hmm. That's that's you know and now it's more prevalent because of the Western movies that everything is sleeping. But what mm -hmm. happened when they came back to her, did they find that uh, that there was prejudice there and they couldn't get the jobs? No, or there wasn't any uh, what are you talking not about? This then? is about nineteen oh two 1904 in that area, the Japanese immigrants came after the Chinese immigrants, mm -hmm. and, and what happened was that the Chinese immigrants who came, the Japanese immigrants replaced them. They underpaid them. They mm -hmm. worked for lower wage because the Chinese immigrants were just getting to the point where they wanted to get away from manual labor, mm -hmm. and business, and laundries, and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, they wanted laborers, coolies. And because the Chinese, once they were here for a while, they wanted to get away from you know, mm -hmm. themselves from that level. Mm -hmm. And because they gave such labor harassment, mm -hmm. they thought that the Japanese, Japanese would be a better mm -hmm. labor. So they came in that sense. So that the wives didn't originally come. Mm -hmm. Although I read later on some of the prosecutors didn't follow that mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. thing. But, uh, uh, originally, the wives didn't come, so the men came here and worked on the railroad, playing the Northern Pacific Railroad. My father worked. Your father worked in the yeah, railroad. Yeah, worked in the railroad. And then after the tracks were laid, then you had a choice of either going back to Japan or staying here, and they went to agriculture. So that's what he did. Yeah.
because most of them were farmers, they were mm -hmm. from farming villages. So, but in Hawaii, it's another story there. Uh, there they came to work. Did so you, these are Hawaii. Did your mother, was your mother here? Did she come? No, she came later. Yeah, she came about 1918 or something. Um, and so these are pictures in Hawaii because in Hawaii they came a little earlier, mm -hmm. before 1900s. Do you, do you have any personal pictures of here? The only personal picture I have is my father. I wasn't born then. They were fine. All the other pictures we have. A picture of your father would be, would be very nice to go with it, mm -hmm. to tie it into the early immigration and why Japanese yeah. came to this yeah, country. Yeah, I could bring you that. Uh, yeah, I could bring you that picture. I don't have any picture of what I looked like when I was nine or ten mm -hmm. um, school pictures mm -hmm. are all gone. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so I'll kind of run through mm -hmm. so, and some of them were fishermen because mm -hmm. Japan was surrounded mm -hmm. by ocean. Mm -hmm. And um, then we uh, get into uh, World War Two, mm -hmm. and pre-World War Two, there was you know, racial unrest going on because by 1924 they made a gentleman's agreement and what that basically meant was that Japan would not send any more immigrants. And so without officially closing the gate, they closed the gate. So from 1924 on, you don't see any, hardly any Asians coming into this country. And so from, from 1924 until 1950, it's completely mm -hmm. And so from 1950 on, you start to trickle. Now you're getting a mass mm -hmm. amount of Asians coming in. Mm -hmm. So during World War II, where prejudice became prevalent, uh, you know, this is a child waiting mm -hmm. to uh, board the train to take him to the camps. And this mm -hmm. is a camp, one of the camps, and it, it's basically barracks uh, with tar paper, and uh, they would unload the thing, you would find your bags and lug it to your barrack. Now th these barracks looked fairly good, and they were just new mm -hmm. But as as you're in the camp, four or five years, four years or so, mm -hmm. these barracks start to sag because they're just made with two by four mm -hmm. paper. There's mm -hmm. nothing else to it. Um, during because these large pictures are kind of trying to separate from these small, mm -hmm. but originally we got the notice and instruction. Basically, what it said was that you had five days to clear up your business carry two bags and report them. Now your family was living on the west coast. Were sent to Arkansas? Yeah, they first there? first they went to uh, what they call assembly centers. And assembly centers were uh, fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. Every state had a fairground. Mm -hmm. And so you met at the fairground. The fairground was already fenced in, so it made a ready enclosure. And so from the assembly center where we stayed for about three or four months, and that's when, you know, uh, we live more or less in the horse stars. Mm -hmm. Race tracks. Yeah, race tracks. Was that in California? Yeah, in California. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I was in Stockton Assembly Center, but there, every county had a fairground because mm -hmm. farming was prevalent. Every year, mm -hmm. the farmers displayed their guilt. Mm -hmm. So, so far, uh, 
fairgrounds were spread all over there, California, mm -hmm. that's where we were initially. And then from there, we were placed into, uh, uh, they divided it up so that if you were from, like we were from Santa Fe Valley, which is about little past uh, Sacramento, mm -hmm. little above Sacramento, uh, we were sent to Arkansas. Mm -hmm. So you had people from your immediate neighbor all going mm -hmm. together initially. And then from Arkansas, we were sent to Tule Lake, back to California. Is How it Tule Lake? Lake? Tule Lake? Yeah, Tule Lake. Yeah. How long were you in Arkansas? I was in Arkansas about a little over a year, I think. In Tule Lake, And then you were able to leave in 1943. Yeah. Left. Four, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought, well, you said some of, some yeah, people some were given of them a, left. a loyalty oath. Yeah, the ones that uh, really left were, if they had kids at the college age, and the parents wanted them to continue college, Volunteering for service was one of the loyal acts. Uh, I mean, that was a supreme loyalty. Who consisted? Who was in your family? Uh, we had we had uh, six brothers and sisters. So, uh, there nine altogether. Counting myself, there's seven brothers, and one sister. Mm -hmm. And your mother and father. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, our family is interesting in the sense that uh, one brother volunteered for the service to, he thought, well the ones that volunteered for the service thought that that was the only way that we could show our loyalty to the country. You know, so they volunteered and served for the service. And they actually demanded that they be combat. Initially the government said, we'll put you in a support which support unit is a safe unit. All they do is carry supplies and not actually carry rifles. Because mm -hmm. the government really didn't trust our uh, brothers to carry rifles because they mm -hmm. thought that the moment you went out in the field, you turn around and shoot your own men. That's how. When did the 42nd get born? Uh, the, the 100th Battalion was in Hawaii, and that was made up of Japanese Americans originally. And then when the war started, they disbanded and they were passed by something like, I think, 4E, which is something like if you're an alien, you don't have to serve or something. It was classification. But these were American citizens. So it took them one year or so to petition the government to reactivate the Union. And so they reactivated the 100th, and the 100th was sent to the mainland to train and so they trained in Minnesota, Georgia, in that area. Mm -hmm. And then as a unit got larger, uh, it became 442nd. So the 100th Battalion is part oh, of 442nd. But, but they keep it as a 100th Battalion because they didn't want to lose their original name. Mm -hmm. But your brother, yeah, he, he enlisted. Yeah. And then who did he go with? Well, he, see, he was, kind of unfortunate, he shot off his mouth, <laughs> you know. Uh, the way he tells it is when he went there for his loyalty question, uh, Lieutenant, you know, Army Lieutenant was sitting there and uh, 
his name was Schneider. He was a German name. And uh, he asked my brother, uh, do you uh, give up your loyalty to the emperor? And my brother, smart Alec Green, responded, well, when did you give up your loyalty to the Kaiser? And that made the questioner mad. But what, what my brother was trying to point out is how ridiculous the question is. You know, we're both Americans. And, yeah. you know, question our loyalty to the emperor. So he answered that way, and that made the lieutenant mad and blacklisted. And so he was separated from the camp just to teach my lesson. And he was, he was sent to a Texas uh, camp where they kept the super disloyal, what they consider super disloyal. And they kind of worked, worked it out that uh, they threatened you know, things. And uh, then Wayne Collins, he was ACLU lawyer. Mm -hmm. He came and uh, told them the way, I mean, it, something that started out as a ridiculous thing. Mm -hmm. Build into such a big thing, and so he he told uh, Wayne Collins advised him that maybe you should apologize, you know, even you know, even though you're right, and uh, join the service. And so that's what he did. So he joined. Yeah, he but, joined. But where did they? Who did they? He, him they sent him into medical court because because of his record, they didn't trust him. So well, but they did put him with not just. Japanese. No, no. He went to the uh, Army Fifth Corps in the Air Force. So you could you could be helpful, but you couldn't be in a fighting unit yeah, yeah. unless you were in the all Japanese. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, my other brother protested in the other way. He thought this was a constitutional abuse, and so uh, he said that he would never join the service. Um, until he says, I will join the service if you will release my family. Well, they call those no no boys? Uh, yeah, they were not. No no boy was another section. No no boy were the what they called the super patriots. Now they had a little distorted uh, idea, you know. And they were made up of what we call frustrated people that all their rights were taken and they were surged and abused and everything. And after about three, four years, they said the only way we could protest is go the other way. You know, and so they became super Japanese. You know, and that was their way of protesting, to show them how ridiculous. If you're going to accuse us of being disloyal, then we'll go the other way and show you how disloyal. So they, they but my brother wasn't in that group. Um, because you know, I still remember, even as a child, that that group uh, were very militant. Mm -hmm. and they were shaved heads, you know, like mm -hmm. skinheads that we used to call <laughs> shaved off the head and they put bands around. Nothing which, is new. <laughs> which would fit into today's society, yeah. uh, you know, being skinheads. But, uh, uh, and then you had to get up early in the morning to do telecenter. They marched around the ran, they ran around the camp you know, yelling and screaming. You know, we weren't up to that stage. So, but my brother got arrested for his remarks and uh, was put into jail in San Francisco. And his, at the trial, uh, he appeared before uh, Judge Goodman. 
And uh, he told a story. He said, uh, I'm willing to serve my country if all our rights are returned. Not just draft rights or service, but all our rights as American citizens. And uh, he said, if, if my parents are released from camp, I'd be happy to serve this country or whatever they want to do until then. So the judge heard, heard his story and they said, he said that you can't give one right and deny the other right. So he was released, the case was dismissed, and he came back to the camp. But for 40 years, even to this day, he never talks about that period of, of his experience because of the fact that uh, they were very, very humiliated, you know. And the only way that I found out was I read somewhere of some person, because they were 16 or two, like that was because of a test case that they went to. And, uh, and some of them were. Now, we've lost all the history of the older Isis, what mm -hmm. they went through, mm -hmm. because they were the leaders for putting internment camps. And what they went through, they lost it completely because they just refused to say it. They just hurt them so much that they just refused to say it, and they died. Yeah, they handle that very well in that exhibit. They talk about that. Those yeah. yeah. They don't get the information yeah. is gone, but they do deal yeah. with that. It's really that unfortunate, you know, yeah. because I've even tried to talk to some of them, no, no, boys, you know, uh, and they they won't talk about it. That it just was that period that it was a means, there was no way of protesting. And that was the only way that they could make themselves known. And so those stories are going to die. And I've been telling some of them to write it down. If it's so hard for you to say it, write it down. And then just keep it to yourself. And someday, you know, some person will find the story in doing language. So, there's lots of untold stories uh, of that period. Uh, this type of picture where you have a child, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. lodging, uh, this is a psychological damage that the kid never realized mm -hmm. why he's so scared, mm -hmm. scared of authority. Mm -hmm. And so the psychological damage is still with us. Mm -hmm. uh, even in my family, my older, two older brothers, you know that uh, there is a psychological because they would never have anything to do with uh, any governmental groups, no mm -hmm. government. And they would never put themselves in a position where they were checked out. Or, mm -hmm. you know, they just got sick and tired of them. And so they went through by holding mediocre jobs because anything that required and there are a lot of people like that, I think, in our group mm -hmm. that are dying without saying anything. I was younger, so I could understand, but I wasn't hurt directly. I was a little older than this boy. How old were you when you were in the camp? I was about 10 or 12. When you went in the camp? Yeah, I was 9, pushing 10 when I went in the camp. So, for me, it was hard to even talk about these things until 1982. Because every time I saw this, it just emotionally upset me. But now I'm to a point where 
I feel that it has to be told so that it won't repeat itself. And that's the only reason why I go out and tell anyone, you know, so that something like this will never happen again in this country. So uh, I, I emphasize loyalty, that it's important because of our appearance that we have a war record. And so that war record is always spelled out. I, I served in the Korean War as a volunteer, and all of us, I think, we served because of the fact that loyalty was questioned during World War II. And we said, never again would our loyalty be ever questioned. And uh, so other Asian groups have never gone through this, so they don't feel as strongly what loyalty means. And mm -hmm. it really, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that your loyalty is based on whether you serve for your country. It shouldn't be like that, because any other group isn't. But we have to show that. And so a lot of our brothers and sisters died, you know, and they never got the experience. You know, like, you notice Senator in Norway mm -hmm. and Senator Matsunaga, mm -hmm. they were both in Pope for a second. And for them, you know, loyalty is foremost mm -hmm. that uh, they would never put themselves in a position where they would be questioned of loyalty. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's basically what happened. Uh, but I don't like to see our experience used as a sad story just for experience mm -hmm. itself. There's mm -hmm. a bigger story mm -hmm. there, no, constitutional yeah, right. abuse. And I think that you're so right when you say that that with currently, I mean, I just heard, uh, who was it, a Chrysler guy? I Coco. That advertisement yeah. was very powerful to me, just what you're talking about. I hadn't been thinking about it particularly. Mm -hmm and said, you know, this is, and to me, because I know quite a bit about the anti-German feeling at the time right, of the First right. World War, and, and less about the anti-Japanese feeling in the Second World War, even though I was alive in the Second World War. That advertisement is, an, is just like the Creel Committee was up to, which was not that you were opposed to Germany, but you were opposed to Germans. Right. And you make people angry with Germans so that you'll get revved up against Germany. And I see that ad saying you should be angry with the Japanese, not necessarily even the Japanese automobile makers or the Japanese right. government. And that's what's so easily transferred to Americans of Japanese descent then, right. which has happened to Germans, yeah, Americans of German descent, right. because it was this revving up a sense of threat from a particular ethnic group, right. group, a you know, yeah. cultural group, rather than a particular, even a different country. Yeah. It's really hard to separate. So I think that your sense, of, and that's very important that we convey that, yeah. Reason why. See, when we look at Ayakoka, uh, as my, myself looking where you're emotionally involved to a certain degree in it, I'm not back in Japan, but if you look a little deeper, Chrysler gets their car made by Mitsubishi. Mm -hmm. You know, their cult yeah. is Mitsubishi, right. you know, and he's making contract with, uh, I think, uh, Subaru or Hyundai, you know, and, and it, really, it really doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. you know, to right. bash it, but it's